Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. Listen for God's word to you. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning once again. It's really great to be with you all here today and to see you um, on the, what has been described as the most delicious day in the church calendar year, Pancake Breakfast Sunday. Um, I want to say hi to those worshiping online on Facebook Live or YouTube. We're glad you're tuning in or listening to the podcast later, but it's great to see you all on this day. You may remember that little poem from Mary Oliver where she writes, Instructions for Life, Pay Attention, Be Astonished, Tell About It. And I want to do that with you today in our sermon time as we pay attention to this story, this little story about Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. Pay attention first to the setting. Jesus is in Capernaum, which is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. If you picture Lake Tahoe, it's right where Incline Village is, okay? <laughs> I'm orienting you Northern California people. And it's a Sabbath day, and Jesus goes to the synagogue. Pay attention to who is there. It says that Jesus is teaching, and those who heard him were amazed. That's the congregation gathered. They went regularly to the, Sabbath, uh, to the synagogue on a Sabbath day, which for them was a Saturday. For us, it's a Sunday, to worship, to pray, to hear the Scripture. And the reference to the scribes there, the scribes were those who were local religious teachers and leaders. They were not the priests. Those priests were in Jerusalem in the temple, but the local synagogue would have scribes who were able to read and write. They would essentially tell and repeat what others had written before them. They were experts in quoting other experts. They led from a position of, or a place of positional authority. They were the official named leaders, so you better listen to them. And then, on this Sabbath, in this synagogue, there was also a man with an unclean spirit. And this term in the Gospel of Mark, it's synonymous. It's, it can be used interchangeably with a demon or an evil spirit, but here it says unclean spirit. I wonder if this term really kind of references somebody who has something going on in their life, you know? Something going wrong in their life. Do you know anybody like that? I don't mean demon-possessed. I, I do mean somebody who's got something where it's not quite right. Could be in their spiritual life. Could be just as easily a, a mental illness, a deep depression, a grief that will not let them go free. It could be a lingering conflict in a relationship. It could be a worry that's taken up residence 
in their life. This scene in the Bible is from 2,000 years ago, and it talks about an unclean spirit, but we're interpreting it for our times as well. What would that look like here and now? I wonder if you can picture somebody with, the, with that unclean spirit. Maybe it's you. Maybe you feel that way. There's trouble in your life or with someone you know, and the trouble doesn't always stay quiet. It doesn't stay secret. It doesn't stay at home. Maybe the unclean spirits and trouble of this world come with us wherever we go. Maybe even, church, maybe even when we gather in worship like this. That seems to be what is happening in this story. Jesus is there in the synagogue, and it's not all just good and holy little Presbyterians who are there. Can you believe it? It's a mix, and it's a mix of different kinds of people, a mix of questions and doubts of problems and issues, and they all gather together on that day to worship, to pray, to hear God's Word. So in the midst of the congregation, there was one who was troubled. Probably not just one, but there was one in particular who was troubled that day. I wonder if he was a part of the congregation. Did he belong with them? Was he a regular feature of their worship time week by week? Did he show up all the time? Most likely, they knew him. Nobody seemed surprised that this man with the unclean spirit was there when they gathered. And Capernaum wasn't a very big town, so people tended to know each other. In the fourth century, there was a bishop of Constantinople, an early church father um, whose name was St. John Chrysostom, and this is what he once said. He said, the church is a hospital and not a courtroom for souls. She does not condemn on behalf of sins, but rather grants remission from sins. And this is kind of a helpful reminder to us uh, about the, the, the role of a church, especially on New Member Sunday, as we welcome new members into the life of our church. God places us within spiritual community, and it can be a hospital, a place of healing or hope when things are going wrong. No one goes to the hospital, I, I think, like good Sam, if they're feeling great, right? You don't just for fun go by the hospital someday. If you, you don't go there then, but if something's wrong, that's when you need it. If somebody's in, hurt, uh, in sorrow or hurt, then they go to the hospital. Sometimes you could go in joy. For example, people who have been through a, a cancer journey, and they go for a follow-up meeting with their oncologist, right? Or if you've gone through a medical procedure and you have some reason to go back and say, I was so sick, I was so hurt, and I've been healed, and here I am. And so with joy, you might return to that place. It's always a mix. And I'm talking about a spiritual community maybe 2,000 years ago or maybe even today for a church like ours. Jesus meets us right where we are in the mix of life. He meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us where he found us. So we're paying attention to the setting. We're, we're listening for who was there and what is happening. And we hear that Jesus is there teaching with authority. The people who hear it are astonished. They are amazed. They are, to use a biblical, I translated it, blown away. Um, they can't believe it. And we don't know the content of what Jesus is saying. So it's not necessarily the content alone. We know that his message is powerful. 
Jesus is the one who's talking about um, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's the one who says, love your neighbor as yourself. He's the one who says, forgive just as you have been forgiven. He's the one who says, whatever you do to the least of these, it's like you did it to me. Jesus' teaching is powerful. But here in this story, we don't hear the content of his message. It just says people were astonished, they were amazed because of his teaching with authority. He's not like their scribes who are regurgitating information that they read somewhere or looked up on the internet. He is giving them words of life and helping them grow closer to God. So what is this authority that Jesus has? Maybe it's, it is just like a positional authority. You know positional authority? It's like the named leader. Maybe it's a police officer or military person in uniform. They have authority. Maybe it's a political office holder who got the job. They have authority. Or your boss or manager at work. Or maybe the principal at school or a teacher in a classroom. Maybe a scoutmaster or a coach of a team. The named person in authority. Jesus here is functioning as a rabbi. He's a teacher. And so maybe they're just listening him to him because he came with like rabbi, like written on his jacket. Uh, but I don't think so. Because think about this. The scribes, they also had positional authority. They were the named scribes. They were there with their little, with their little scrolls. Could have listened to them, but they say, we, when we listen to them, it's like they had nothing to say. But Jesus does. Maybe Jesus has moral authority. Moral authority. That's like when somebody speaks out about important issues and brings clarity or helps raise up something that we need to hear. The prophets of the Old Testament had moral clarity. They called for the widows and orphans to be helped, not left behind. Or maybe we think about Martin Luther King Jr. or Nelson Mandela, two leaders of, our time, of, of the last century, whose moral authority was shaped because they had suffered. They'd been to jail for their beliefs, and yet they held on. There's a pastor named Duke Kwan uh, who's written this. This is what he said. There are some things you cannot see with moral clarity except through tears. Maybe Jesus' moral authority comes because he's one who suffers. He's called the man of sorrows. He's rejected by many. Maybe he has a moral authority for that reason. I think most likely, as we hear this story today, Jesus' teaching has authority, and it's relational authority. So we've talked about positional authority, moral authority, and relational authority. This is given within a relationship. It's earned by showing up and being trustworthy to somebody else. When you know somebody loves you and somebody cares about you, they can speak into your life in a different kind of way. Isn't that right? When you know someone's on your team and wants your best they can speak to you and say a hard truth, and you can hear it in a way that if it's your greatest critic or it's somebody who you don't really like or it's someone who bugs you, you can't hear that. No one has time for that. But someone who loves you and cares for you can speak to you. That's, that's relational authority. So in this story, Jesus is just a visiting rabbi, but the man with the Spirit seems to know him. The Spirit cries out and says, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. What do you want with us? He says, I know who you are, Holy One of Israel, Holy One of God. He knows who he is and what he can do. 
So Jesus' relational authority grows in that community as he moves around. You know, that's what Jesus spent his time doing, um, going around, meeting people, hearing their stories, helping, healing, talking about God's kingdom, forgiving them, setting them free. So people don't just get to know him because of his words or his, even his deeds, but also because of the way he showed up in their lives. He has relational authority with them as they get to know him. I love what Pope Francis said a few years ago, about 10 years ago now. He was talking to a large gathering of priests, Catholic priests, and this is what Pope Francis said to them. He said, The priest who seldom goes out of himself misses out on the best of our people, on what can stir the depths of his priestly heart. This is precisely the reason why some priests grow dissatisfied, lose heart, and become, in a sense, collectors of antiquities and novelties, instead of being shepherds, living with the smell of the sheep. This is what I'm asking you. Be shepherds with the smell of the sheep. Isn't that a great image? A shepherd who's been out with the flock, like a literal shepherd who has the smell of the sheep on them. A leader who's been among the people who has a sense of what's happening. I love this idea for pastors and priests, but I love it even more for leaders of every kind. I've said before that our church is a congregation full of leaders. Each of you has, has influence, responsibility, or authority in some areas of your life. So let me ask you this question. Where are you a leader? Where do you have responsibility? Where do you hold authority? And in that setting, or in that group, or with those people, can you be the kind of person, the kind of leader, who gets close, who spends time, who shows love, who has the smell of the sheep on you? That's what Jesus is modeling for us here. He holds relational authority with them, not just because of what he knows or even what he says, but because of how he meets them and moves with them. Jesus has the smell of the sheep on him, but there's something else, too, in Jesus' life. He has an intimate relationship with God, which means that as he shows up for others, he has God's spiritual power working through him. He's been filled and renewed for his work with others because of his time spent with the Lord. So I don't know what was up with those scribes, you know, in, in the New Testament, in the Bible. I don't know how they thought they could do this work, this big work that they'd been entrusted with, talking about God, teaching about God, without actually knowing God, or walking with God, or spending time. Jesus, in his life and ministry, was always animated and strengthened by his connection to God the Father. So for you and me in our lives, I want us to pay attention to what Jesus is doing here. First, it's a mixed community. People are coming with joy and sorrow, just like us. Jesus is in the mix with them. He meets them where they are with relational authority. He speaks grace and truth into their life. Second, Jesus did all of his work, not from his strength alone, but from his close relationship with God, the spiritual resources of, Christ, of, of our Lord. So you're here today at church. You got up and came over. All right, it's pancake breakfast Sunday, but still. You came all the way over for an hour of power, an hour with God, to refill your bucket, 
to recharge your batteries, to let God's Word seep into your mind a little bit more so that you'll have something with you as you go out to face all the stuff you have coming up this week. So pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. That's how the story ends, right? Jesus' fame increases as he is, becomes known for what he's doing. And I want to encourage you today as you hear this little message not to try and do it all on your own, but to, as you join into spiritual Christian community in our church, that you would have a chance to tell about what God's doing in your life, that you would find a place where you can tell your story, share from your hurts, seek hope that God has. And as that happens, God really works in and through us. So as we prepare to go and feast on more pancakes, as you go, may you be filled again with the grace and peace of God. May we share it with all that we meet today. Amen.